Hey everyone, welcome back to The Interesting Hour. I'm your host, Devesh Verma, and with me, my co-host... Justin Kupinoff. And this week's episode is brought to you by Core Foundation. Core Foundation is a multimedia nonprofit. Check us out at cor-foundation.org. Subscribe and do stuff. And we got Chuck Levins. Chuck Levins, for all your audio needs, visit chucklevins.com. And today we have a guest from another podcast. Justin, what's going on? Is this even allowed, bro? I don't know. Is this even allowed? You did this. You made this happen. You tell me. Oh, yeah. Then it's allowed. (laughs) No, we got Travis J. Dow in the house today. Guy's an author and, like Devesh said, does his own podcast, History of Alchemy, which is how I found him. Pretty cool. And was instantly hooked on his podcast. Yeah. And he took the time to be a guest on our show. It was pretty cool. We talked about a lot of interesting things. And I got to say in advance, everyone, we apologize, but this particular episode is laden with some profanity we had to just do it you know it's, we got we're into just it. having fun yeah we're talking about old weird history <laughs> yeah like what, well what kind of things should we uh, expect from this episode justin well somebody gets their nose chopped off mm-hmm. we got a uh, a suicidal moose and you can learn how you can do your very own alchemical experiments using your own semen semen really y- yeah let's play one, two, three, four. Hello, friends, and here we are with Travis Dow. How's it going, man? Travis. Hey, glad to be here. <laughs> so, Travis, you give us a little introduction to yourself, man. We'll let people know who you are. Um, I, my name is Travis Dow, and I believe I'm a workaholic. <laughs> uh, by, wh- by which I mean, I in my spare time, if I that so-called spare time, I do a number of um, history podcasts, basically. And the the oldest two are History of Alchemy and the Bohemian Podcast, which is about the history of the Czech Republic. And both of those kind of grew out of the fact that I lived in the Czech Republic in Prague uh, for ten years, and just recently moved back to. Well, well, home for to uh, to the Bay Area now. Up so Northern California. Yep, yep. yep. That's not a bad place to be. <laughs> I, tra- I traded. I traded what? I traded cobblestones and castles for sand and palm trees. It's a fair trade. It's a yeah. fair trade. A little historical. Better. To, yeah. yeah. Although I wish we had a little bit more castles here, but. Here as in at Los Angeles, you mean, Justin? Yeah, I, yeah. I just wish I could see castles on my way to work. But, but in a very landlocked country, that's that's kind of in a, it's like, you know, the same latitude as Vancouver, B.C., um, you might miss those uh, beaches and palm trees, too. Yeah. So, I mean, it really. <laughs> well, you know, the Justin. Grass is, the grass is always greener, right? Yeah, exactly. Justin, if you really want to see some castles, I mean, you have the power of imagination. And you, the magic castle. Does really? That yeah, that. Actually, I don't know. It has castle in the name. I'm not sure. Um, Anyways, Travis, back to this. Uh, So give us a breakdown, man. What is alchemy? Okay. Oh, boy. All right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Here we go. Simple question. 30 minute answer. Go. (laughs) Right into it. Um, Yeah. So, so, okay. Well, the short version is it is is the search for the philosopher's stone, period. Okay. So can I go home now? Because I think we're good. TLDR. All right. Well, it's been a lot of fun, folks. And (laughs) if you need me again, I'm happy to be able to. So (laughs) the philosopher's stone, simply put, is, is, is a device, is a medium which will turn lesser metals, let's say, into noble metals like silver and gold. So you're taking like lead and copper and tin, iron, and turning it into stuff that's worth more money. Transmutation. 
transmutation is, is, yeah, that's really the core of the word because you can have, there's people that would say there's a such thing as herbal alchemy or spiritual alchemy. And, and what, what, what still makes it alchemy is, is that transmutation. Um, so I just need to ask you this question right now. That means I can't clap my hands together and transmute something into something else like in Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist <laughs> is is historically accurate. I would say every aspect really? of that show is, is spot on. <laughs> I'm surprised that they got it <laughs> so good. I So I have my transmutation circle in my living room and I'm just like, I need a cheeseburger right now. And I'd be really um, impressed if you can like draw a transmutation circle from that show like within a minute because they look so complex is ridiculous. <laughs> like you did not draw that in 30 seconds. I, yeah. I, well, I tried to break it down because I've seen so many alchemical symbols right now that I tried to break it down and like, oh, is that John D's, uh, you know, hier- hieroglyphica? And is that, uh, you know, there's a lot <laughs> esoteric stuff now that after over the years i'm I'm like oh that looks familiar i know oh, that's that that doesn't belong there that's nonsense uh <sighs> yeah heartbreaking yeah i love that show. stuff but anyway sorry going well, back to Devesh could wait more than like one I, minute was, before mentioning you, we're doing a show on <laughs> alchemy i'm gonna talk about full metal alchemist i just have to that's fine that's fine man yeah we're no, you that, actually i love that <laughs> because right. you picked up on that you know like like years ago if i would have said transmutation they're like uh, I think I know what that means, but they're like, oh, transmutation circle. Uh, yeah, man. You know, like, 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 or like, you know, philosopher's stone or people just know those terms now. So now it's like, now it's got to correct the definition. I don't yeah, have to explain this is, it. We're having on the show to correct my, my knowledge because anything I know is just from that anime and I will let my inner nerd out anytime yeah, for this. But yeah, that's sorry. Start. I, mean, that's, that's, <laughs> I think, I think if that, if that awakens an interest in alchemy, if that made you think like, Hey, wait a minute. Okay. What was it really like? Mm-hmm. Then, 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 then you went through the exact same thing that I went through and you know, that's, that's good. I think that's why people, that's why I get listeners to the show. I get uh, full metal alchemists and like Harry Potter fans. And that's great. Uh, why not? Yeah, sure. Travis, well, how did you get into this? How, what 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 caught your interest um, with alchemy? Yeah. So uh, for me, I would say it kind of started with like I would say there there was a point where I barely knew what an alchemist was. I it was like a murky symbol or you know murky concept. I wasn't even sure if they were really real or not. And um, what what started it for me was. I was a ghost tour guide for a season in Prague. And what that means is, I mean, it was a, it was a tour. I was a tour guide, right? So I'd, I went around. But what ghost tour guide means is that it was usually at night. It was usually in the evenings and, and night. And I think I got home at like one in the morning. <laughs> and ghost tour, the ghost part is that I wore a top hat and I had a honest to Are God. Are you serious? One, no one, way. Yeah. <laughs> that. I wore one U.S. Army um, gas, like kerosene lantern. Uh, which I had awesome. enough. I had enough uh, British tourists to know that that's a paraffin uh, lantern <laughs> and paraffin oil, I guess. Yeah, and uh, and then and then uh, what? Oh, I had to wear a trench coat and then a big red umbrella that had the name of my company on there, the company I worked for. And we went up to the castle for a three-hour tour. We went underground, and uh, there was one around Old Town and. All three, all three of those tours. There's, there's other tours where you go up to, to like the Jewish quarter, and even that tour. All of those tours, at some point, you're gonna walk by something, and there's gonna be a stop where it's like, and this at one point was an alchemist lab. Like uh, you can Google this. There's the House of the Two Golden Bears, 
or there is, I believe it's the Powder Tower in the Prague Castle. One of the towers is where, you know, Emperor Rudolf II locked them all up and made them make gold uh, under penalty of death. Literally and, uh, spoiler, like slave alchemists. Spoiler alert, they all died. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the way, like, you're, the way you're explaining this, it sounds like an episode of Game of Thrones, like <laughs> House of the Two Golden Bears or whatever. <laughs> like, wait, oh, what? it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was brutal. And it, oh, yeah. And it was crazy. And well, that's the thing. There were such good stories around this that, uh, you know, some are like clearly legends, like supernatural stories and, and, uh, you know, just, but, but all kinds of great stuff. And, and the thing is, it just makes you want to know more. It makes you kind of want to, uh, find out at least like, wait, is this a true story or what part of this is true? Or, mm. um, this was, I mean, and now there's even, um, just within the last decade, uh, they found an alchemist lab when when Prague flooded, when they had to do repairs and they were doing excavations, they accidentally uncovered uh, what's now underground because Prague was a whole level lower in the Middle Ages. So the, the whole oh, right. thing is one street level higher, kind of like Seattle, if you know the history of Seattle. Oh, wow. I didn't know um, that. Yeah, but um, so you, uh, there's a lot of things underground, like a lot of great underground pubs and bars and all that, too. But also, like, they just keep uncovering <laughs> stuff. And and one of those things was an alchemist lab that's, like, pristine. They, there's the, the, the furnace, which is a very specific furnace because alchemists need, like, very specific heat. So they had these, like... Uh, like a control system, almost like thermostats, you know? So they, I mean, you see an alchemist furnace, there's like, that's an alchemist furnace. There's only one thing that that could be used mm -hmm. for, and that's alchemy. There's no mistaking it. And so they brought in, you know, the archaeologists and they discovered traces traces of gold and mercury and um, silver, copper, tin, um, sulfur. And that just makes you wonder, mercury, sulfur, why? why? And then, you yeah. know, other compounds that have nothing to do with any of those um, just like salt minerals and and different various salts and phosphorus and and you're just like what you know what does that have to do with gold what does it have to do with you know you just just I, I mean to me at least these these questions just just occur and no, these uh, are fascinating like how old was this pristine yeah. lab that was found like when was so, this uh, the one that was found I believe was just like the the period that I'm most interested in like turn of the I think it was like 16th century but. Um, oh, wow. 16th century, a turn of the 17th century, somewhere in there. That's like golden age of alchemy in Prague. And uh, yeah, I mean, just coming across that stuff, telling those stories, hearing those stories, uh, that was like five years ago, seven years ago. And like right now, I got a, you know, it's like 500 page tomb in front of me called The Jewish Alchemists. And like, uh, the, the, oh, the book next <laughs> to it is called Prague in Black and Gold, which is all about, you know, I mean, yeah, it's all wow. about alchemy. Frog. I mean, you know, seven years later, I'm still just like, I just love this stuff. I just can't get enough. And that first, actually, we launched both podcasts uh, simultaneously, me and my co-host, mm -hmm. um, one about Prague, one about Alchemists. And that was the first of seven. I mean, it's just this this you know slippery slope, this dangerous spiral. You just went down a rabbit hole, sir, yeah. and you're just yeah. You, 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 just, there's no way out, and I don't think you want to find a way out. No, it's yeah, it's just, it's just it's interesting stuff. I love it. So, yeah. uh, yep, yep. <laughs> How f so just talking about like how far back does alchemy go? Do yeah. we know when exactly it yeah, started? Yeah, I was about to ask like what you oh, said wow. the golden okay. age of alchemy in Prague. Like the, talk about that. Like when was the golden yeah. age? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's an interesting question because alchemy, you know, the character of it changes over time. Um, if you ask me, and you just did, uh, alchemy, <laughs> that alchemy that, that alchemy lasted for a span of let's say fourteen hundred years, and and I justify that number by saying. The first extant copy we have was uh, so the first like actual manuscript that we have is from uh, Alexandria of the fourth century, and that's by Zosimos of, of Panopolis. 
Okay. But he mentions older alchemists. And oh. um, it's an interesting fella. So he mentions alchemists that probably go back as far as the first century. But then he also mentions like mythical alchemists like Hermes Trismegistus, who even in the Middle Ages or in the Renaissance, I'll say, um, they believe that he was a contemporary of Moses. So mm -hmm. legend goes back to, well, Adam was the first alchemist. So and then some Mo of these things might be like oh, parables or something but, like. Of but yeah, yeah. I mean, so so people, you know, so alchemy, <laughs> I like to say alchemy went in both directions. It was going forward in time, but people were also inventing the legend of alchemy. So it kind of got this legendary beginnings. And so it was also going backwards in time, becoming older and older. When, when Zazamos was writing of it, uh, some of the inventions, like just the the really the simple still, like a pot still, or the bain marie, which is still used in you, you can use it in cooking, like the water. You know, when you when you want to cook something at a very consistent uh, temperature, you put it in water, and then the you know, uh, like two pots. And um, Zazamos writes of that, and those were inventions that probably weren't really much older than the first century. At least we have like zero evidence that they were. Mm -hmm. But because it's out of Egypt, you know. Now you think, okay, what's an alchemist? Because back then, these people writing the Egyptian books of the dead, there's spells in there there that like, okay, when you get to the alchemist, uh, when you get to the afterlife, this magical spell will give you riches. Okay, now we're getting really close to, wait, are you talking, is this magical spell going to make you gold? That sounds like an alchemical <laughs> recipe, and now we're talking thousands of years ago. So Egypt is that interesting thing. Egypt, I mean, the word alchemy comes from the word Egypt. If you go, let me let me just nerd at you a little bit and give yeah, you please. some etymology. I, I have no idea what uh, you're about to say. Yeah, please do. Yeah, so so we, if we go backwards, uh, so we get it. Okay, yeah, I have to go work backwards or I'll forget the, 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 the order here. But so we say alchemy. Um, we get it from the old French alchemy, which comes from... Uh, the Arabic alchemia and the Arabs got it from the Greeks. Chemia can mean two things. Chemia can mean mixture, which is just where you know why chemistry today makes sense that word. But chemia, um, if I'm not pronouncing it, or chem, chem, I think it's just chem or chem actually, mm -hmm. was black earth, as in the earth that is near the Nile, as in Egypt. So that sounds the, so metal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's so just, metal. Yeah, the black earth, that is the oldest, like that's where the word comes from. It, it So it's synonymous with Egypt. And if you're going, if you're talking now, I mean, you know, fourth century, it's Ptolemaic Egypt. So it's like Greek, you know, Hellenistic Egypt. But if you are talking Egypt, then it's like, oh, geez, it could just be murky, murky past. And many people will tell you this. Many people will say like, well, Hermes Trismegistus is the same thing as the uh, Egyptian god Thoth. And, you know, so it goes back to legend. But I will tell you fourth century Alexandria. And that's that's how far back it goes, I'd say. Wow. Wow, that's I, I did not anticipate to be that far back. I was, I was like, yeah, you're gonna say 14th, 13th century. Like, no, no, you're talking way, way back. Um, that's not. Yeah, no, idea. no, that's. I would say, yeah, fourth century from fourth century. And here's the interesting part to me: um, why my podcast is like I'm on episode 70 and not looking to quit anytime in the future, is that it's I am talking about a single tradition from. Um, Alexandria in, you could argue the first century, but I would say the, you know, for sure the fourth century. And it goes like via, uh, the Jewish communities and Nestorian Christians, like Syriac Christians, it goes to Persia, to Baghdad, it gets, and then we have only then do we have, um, 
the the Muslim conquests and and you know the seventh century and Muhammad and all that, and that gets taken up, and then we have these new Muslim thinkers, and they take up that same tradition, going back to the Greek sources, and you know now translated into um, uh, to to some degree to Hebrew actually, but to a much greater degree like Syriac, uh, Aramaic, and then. Arabic and then Arabic it blooms and we get more commentators building on and expanding that old tradition and that's when you have in your head like mm, 13th century mm-hmm. that's like starting in the Crusades and then um, the reconquest of Spain is the big one and also the conquest by the Turks of Constantinople the fall of Constantinople those are the two big events but the Crusades is a third event that just this knowledge flooded into Europe and it all, it all got translated from, from Arabic and Greek into Latin. And that's that time period, 12th century. And then, you know, Renaissance was like the order of magnitude bigger, you know, all of this stuff started flooding in. Um, and yeah, that's when it really gets into Europe. And if you're talking like European, but it is that same tradition you have, um, you know, Zazamos translated into Arabic, translated mm-hmm. to Latin, then translated into German, French, English, Spanish, uh, Italian and Czech, Russian. I, I mean, it's just it's just you know taught in Harvard. Uh, it's just great. It's just fantastic All stuff. All over. Uh, yeah, yeah. Based so, on, like, with that but kind it of- is that same tradition. There is a such thing. I should point out because there is a such thing as Indian alchemy, and there's a such thing as uh, Chinese alchemy, and those are just independent. And I'm I'm way more of an amateur when I talk about those. And you know, I wouldn't well, really in, in layman terms, terms. I guess you could say, okay, maybe we should. Yeah, maybe we so should. So, yeah, it's just different. But so we have one continuous, really like ancient tradition from Alexandria to you know, um, eighteen hundred, let's say. Okay. Uh, to modern day, if you will, but yeah, yeah, as long as it existed. So yeah. So when we're talking about this, who are some of the people that are like the stars when it yeah. comes to alchemy? Yeah, like with the that people kind of... back in the day that that we may recognize today. Like... Yeah. Okay. So I mean, my heroes are the ones that are the murky ones, the ones that first kind of brought it into the mainstream. Like, just to kind of name drop, you might have not heard of these guys, but like Ramon Lull. If you've studied theology, actually, you might have heard. You're like, oh, Ramon Lull. Yeah. Or if you're Spanish. You've heard of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of those guys, just really interesting characters as far as, like, he created the first computer. Mm. Mm. You know, depending on, I mean, it was kind of a, <laughs> the, the loose term of what a computer <laughs> was back then. Um, if you consider a, a spinning dial uh, a computer, you know, you can do some computations that, you know, calculate the the nature of matter. Uh, then, then if that's a computer, then he created the first one. I mean, I mean to me, um, the person who commi- uh, created the computer was Benedict Cumberbatch in that one movie that came out recently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yes, yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Go on, Travis. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. And um, okay, but then and then also like uh, there's people according to legend that were alchemists like Albertus Magnus or Thomas Aquinas that in reality, but people didn't know this for centuries. But but in uh, you know people wrote. Uh, under you know would sign their name Thomas Aquinas or Albertus Magnus and it was really a pseudo Aquinas or pseudo under that name even though yeah and it was just it was an alchemist writing under their name and so so for a long time it was assumed that like well Thomas Aquinas was a great alchemist and people would mix up his his theology with his alchemical theory Uh and all that stuff and and then it was kind of detangled in the 18th 19th 20th centuries um but but so those some of those characters are really interesting to read about and and so it actually uh, some of my heroes might be p- 
people that we don't even know their real name because some of my heroes might be like pseudo Ramon Lull or pseudo Aquinas. Like what they write about uh-huh. is just so fascinating, but who knows who they were? And under the penalty of like the Inquisition, they might have you know written under a false name. Did that happen um, a lot with alchemy? People writing under yeah, others' names did. and it being did, super secretive and everything. Yep. I th- I would say I would say so there was yeah so alchemy uh, there was two camps and from the very beginning there was always two camps there was those that thought it was and should be esoteric meaning that it was that it's it's dangerous to know or that was the the reason given or it's like sacred knowledge and you needed God's will to even understand it even if I told you an alchemical recipe if you don't have God's will you're not going to be able to understand it. Um, and there, so there was there was those people saying that alchemy is and should be esoterica. It's esoteric, meaning it's not um, explicit. It's like you know, secret, secret, kind of given to from from a, a master to an apprentice. But everything was written in code. Everything was written in symbol, so that you don't under, can't understand. And then there was the other people that were like. That's a bunch of bull. I'm going to, here's, you know, forget about this guy and that guy. I'm going to tell you how it was. I'm going to tell you in plain text. But the fact is, is that plain text in the 12th century, it's not like they wrote, uh, take some hydrochloric acid and no, no, no. They wrote, take them, take the philosophic mercury, which is not mercury or philosophical Hmm. quicksilver. And which is a, which, which is really an alloy or a compound uh, of things of metals. And do this and that. And and when they say do this and that, they're like, you know, heat it with the dragon's tail. And, and you're like, what? I mean, they're not what? like, do, you know, heat it up to 475 degrees because they didn't have 470. You know, they said yeah. heat it for four days until you see the peacock's tail, for instance. That's that is an Isaac Newton quote, by the way. He did for, you know, 40 days or whatever until you see the peacock's tail. And Isaac Newton, there's a name drop for you. So Isaac Newton um, uh, he wouldn't, so in his time, uh, he was already post the golden age, which means he had to be secretive because, well, he was in the Royal Society. I mean, if mm-hmm. it was known that he was an alchemist in, in the 18th century, they would have laughed him out of town. Hmm. A little known fact, and this is, this is a fact, you can go look this up. Isaac Newton was first and foremost, he was primarily an alchemist. His theory of gravity was one thing he did on the side. His work in the mint was actually probably related to his alchemical work, uh, interestingly enough. Oh, he and worked it, in a mint? I didn't know that. Yeah, he worked at, Yeah, he worked for the Royal Mint in, in London also, like kind of later in life. Oh, and, and he's and like, hey, it, I get to play with all he, these metals. Why not? <laughs> yeah, well, he did these experiments on counterfeit metals. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And people didn't really think about this for centuries. Like, literally, you know, and, and he wrote in code. He wrote, uh, he developed his own code, which is now famous and has been, you know, kind of deciphered i guess people i mean it's still a work in progress um there's, it there's still hasn't great, been decoded the yeah there's great academic i guess stuff. yeah i think people are deciphering it and there's works being published all the time there's works published you know 2016 that weren't there the year before from isaac newton so it's a it's an exciting time right now oh how fascinating um, yeah and and we're finding out that he actually wrote more about alchemy than he wrote about everything else combined so theory of gravity that's nice but that's just a fraction of <laughs> compared to his and and so his litmus kind of test was i'm not going to talk to anybody unless they tell me if they write about the and th- this is a quote so if they write about the uh, peacock's tail then that means that's a first kind of he, he would actually say, so the peacock's tail is this, you heat um, your mixture. It's basically mercury and sulfur, and which sulfur stinks. So you heat this stinking mixture. Um, at some stage, it actually has uh, like manure and dung in it. So it's really a 
stinking mixture. And after like 40 days, if you uh, have a really consistent temperature, it turns white, then it turns black, and then it turns red. Then it turns multicolored. And, and it, you know, you, if you think of a shiny, shimmering kind of oily uh, surface, that's what I'm talking about. So kind of that, if you look at it, it looks like rainbow colored, you know, that's oh, yeah. the peacock's tail. And Isaac Newton, if you mentioned the peacock's tail, you would have Isaac Newton's attention. If you didn't, then he wouldn't take you serious because, you know, for every 100 alchemists out there in the 18th century, 99 of them were charlatans. Right. And one of them was the real deal. You know? Isaac Newton. So, <laughs> yeah. So and he did have, you know, he did have a circle of alchemists. They were very secretive. He only had a, he only had one or two very trusted advisors. Um, there's the question whether uh, this was an interesting kind of thing coming out of the last few years is like his most trusted advisor in regarding to alchemy, his alchemist apprentice, was that actually his gay lover? And the truth is, and, and seriously, this is, a, this is a question being asked now. And I would say mm, probably not or we don't actually have evidence that says he was. But there's all kinds like, hmm, yeah, there's kind of like some warm, uh, heartfelt, uh, you know, email, I almost had emails, but uh, letters, <laughs> carrier pigeons that went back and forth between the two. Uh, what was he like, an Italian? I, I believe he was Italian, you know, so this this young Italian uh, alchemical apprentice, uh, who knows, who knows? But yeah, so all kinds of things we're learning about folks like Isaac Newton, even. Um, so yeah, there's a name, there's yeah. a name for you. So Isaac Newton, you have a lot of favorites that are not well known to most people, but they wrote a bunch of stuff on alchemy. Uh, who else do we got here? Uh, yeah, who else? What, any other notable figures? Oh boy, let me see. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, hold on. I got okay. I got a couple of favorites that I'll mention because people have heard of them. Like everybody's probably heard of. Um, if you've heard of alchemists and you know some names, you've probably heard of John John D and Edward Kelly. There's this really famous duo. They had uh, John Dee had Queen Elizabeth I's attention at one point. He had the British, the biggest library in the UK, and they talked to angels. In and whoa, whoa, back of, whoa, it up. wait a minute, what? Well, back that up. Um, they talked they, to angels. Yeah, they had this. They had this long um, thing set up where this this like. Uh, just like this long process where they would talk in like they called it Enochian. There's a, an Enochian language where Edward Kelly would talk through a scrying glass. And actually, you can see this, the stone and glass he had like a crystal glass, which, which he got from the Americas and some stone, which I forget what it's a slate or something. But it's, you know, something written in it. And you can go see that in the British Museum today. So like these crazy occult objects are still around. Um, but That's they went off and, and they traveled Europe. They they ended up in Prague, actually, which is why I like them. But but they're really well known as far as um, yeah, they're just crazy. They talk to angels. They uh, they 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 got a lot of money from from pretty famous noblemen. Um, not as much as they would have liked oh, often, but they but they did get patronage from uh, the Holy Roman Emperor. They got some money from Elizabeth the first, and yeah, that's just that's just a lot of neat stories there. Um, but they were just really. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just I'm just wondering, like, is this the case with most alchemists? Like, it was, like, all about getting the ear of the king or queen and then it getting was, funded, yeah. and then, then so, you were able to do the experiments you wanted. Yeah. It sounds so like it today. Expensive. <laughs> it just sounds like today. <laughs> yeah. So, it, totally. Yeah, so you get funded, you get the grant to then do your pet project or to, to then be able to do what you can do because it's really expensive. You probably can't do it on your own. But you say, hey, I got this knowledge. I can make you rich. I just need an investor. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, but but so the thing is now Edward Kelly, I'll tell you, probably was a full on charlatan, just, you know, just fraud. But John D was also a mathematician. He was also a navigator. He was whispering into Elizabeth's ear. He was whispering of, uh, you know, things like get a bigger Navy, um, go off and, you know, lay a claim in the new world. So like very interesting things that actually, you know, ended up happening. And, uh, you know, people look back and say, wait a minute, did this crazy alchemist, you know, change world history? Um, you know, so and, and they invented, you know, he might have invented the sextant. They invented like navigational tools. Um, now, the fund, because you mentioned the funding, there was. Yeah. So there's there's an example of one nobleman. And I would say he's got to be just one of my all time favorites. And, and he's known. Actually, his sidekick is known. His sidekick is Johannes Kepler. 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 He's a famous mathematician. Yeah, so we're talking like, you know, the uh, uh, the telescope these days that is finding exoplanets. Exoplanets. Edit, edit, edit. That's my favorite part of the episode, planets. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Justin's going to like say that in every conversation we have my, now. So. My favorite my favorite exoplanet is uh, Kepler-29b, Kepler which is a nice round <laughs> planet. Okay, okay, wait, 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 back up, back up. Um, okay, edit, edit, edit. <laughs> Leave that in for the bloopers. I don't know. Oh, but, my goodness. That's um, great. Uh, okay. So, uh, so yeah, you know, like today, the, the Kepler telescope, which is discovering all these exoplanets. Right, right. Like there's the, you know, all these planets has Kepler 29b. Well, Johannes Kepler was the Holy Roman Emperor's court mathematician. That's who he was. And um, really interesting character, his master. So he was kind of the apprentice. He's kind of the guy that figured out, uh, Kepler was the guy that figured out the planets have a an, an elliptical orbit. Really neat story. Right. So was he, he he used the newly founded sort of calculus, um, which you know Isaac Newton and Leibniz. That's calculus, and he was able to kind of. Um, it wasn't calculus is the thing. This was like a pre-calculus, but he was able to figure out the way that planets move, and it wasn't just a circle. Now his right before his time was Galileo. And uh, so during their time was Copernicus and before their time was Galileo. Mm -hmm. And so this is the time where you have some people arguing that the earth doesn't really revolve around the sun, even though it clearly looks like it does. Um, in fact, the, the, you know, the, wait, what did I just say? <laughs> the sun isn't really re revolving around the earth, mm -hmm. even though it looks like it does. In mm -hmm. fact, the sun is standing still from what we can tell, and the Earth is revolving around it. And that was actually heresy at the time. Oh, yeah, that was that's crazy. Um, yeah, so, you know, Copernicus actually had to recant these things, or, you know, Galileo especially had to recant these things. He had the Inquisition at mm -hmm. his heels. Um, so this was that time, and Kepler so was strongly in the Copernican camp of things of like, well, I can see the heavens, and I can clearly see that the planets and the Earth is revolving around the sun. Period. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> However, this did not happen overnight. And what what makes uh, Tycho Brahe so interesting? A couple of things. He didn't like telescopes. He was the last holdout of like uh, the kids these days and their Pokemon. <laughs> hey, their magnifying you know, glasses. Yeah, he was like, I don't need your. So so Tycho Brahe is a great. I know I'm going down a crazy weird rabbit hole here, but he was a Danish nobleman that was so rich that he had one percent of all the Danish wealth. What? Now this guy had an alchemist lab in his basement because he had peasants 
he would basically cut down forests. We're talking, you know, clear cut forests and have peasants make firewood to make charcoal to stoke the furnaces to make gold. Okay. Or to make his alchemical recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, it just and you know he had all kinds of like pharmaceutical recipes and things going. It wasn't just philosopher's stone. He had like cures against the plague. My point is he was rich to be able to do that. So he did it of his own free will. Um, yeah, so that's kind of crazy. Now, now, and also he needed so much money because if you don't have a telescope, he had the most accurate star charts and and uh, he would track the planets every night. Well, actually, he had he had his peasants track the planets every night <laughs> his peasants uh, to be honest i, I would like to sleep he wasn't in. up there at you three in the go morning. stay up oh, no. all night and track these for me thank yeah. you hey hounds painters you get up there all oh, again oh uh, but yeah so yeah so but he had the but what that means is he had these like huge sextants that were like three floors three stories tall like three you know as tall as a three-story building that he like you know he dug out had you know a big uh, one floor dug down into the ground into the earth and then you would stand on a second floor balcony and observe the heavens like it's just crazy so he was able to get really accurate without a telescope basically yeah so he didn't he's like telescopes if i don't who needs telescopes screw that just a big ass but now kepler was big into uh, you know optics and was you know trying to write letters to copernicus and was trying to get copernicus's time and and uh, he even had his like optical alchemy theories and and all this great stuff um but tico brahe so uh, oh, okay. A couple of things I got to say here. It's kind of trivia, but I can't talk about Tico Brahe. The one thing is that if you've been picturing this guy, you need to picture a prosthetic nose. So Tico Brahe, wait, he had a prosthetic duel, lost his nose as a young man, I, and in it was a duel? actually, it, it was actually, it was a duel over a math equation. <laughs> was oh, he right? Oh my was goodness. he right? Obviously yeah, not. Talk about being nerd. Like, <laughs> he obviously wasn't right. He lost his nose, Justin. <laughs> So like, actually, well, he didn't die. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think ah, actually. So I think uh, after the duel, I forget the story now. But it was like two noblemen. You know, they they, they disagreed on a math question basically, <laughs> and it came to a duel. And I think after this, they became friends. But but don't quote me on that. They're like, oh, you you know, you cut my nose. Oh, it's all good, dude. Actually, yeah, I believe you. You're right. It was it's it really happened at a bar. It's <laughs> like you know, the you're a son really of a bitch. Three. I don't. You know, whatever. Um, guy yeah. looks like a ghoul from Fallout. So the cool I, thing is that so he oh, had oh, Voldemort. <laughs> well, listen. So he, this is this is a crazy rich nobleman, right? Mm-hmm. So he had the money to get the top men in Europe on it. So he was like, "Make me a nose." So he actually he 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 had um he had glue made. He made this like glue himself, what? I believe. He had a prosthetic nose made out of silver. And now really recent findings have shown that he actually probably had more than one nose. So he had a nose that he would bring out for fine occasions, which was believed to be a silver gold alloy. <laughs> because, you know, silver gold alloy is kind of skin tone. Okay. You're kind of talking about an orangish tinge. And 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 for everyday wear. Sorry. From his skeletal remains, and this was this was just like 2007, 2008, we now know, we found some green around his nose bone, so we now know that he also had a nose that had some copper in it, so copper, probably yeah, some well. brass, bronze thing. This is like, I mean, day. I'm not saying it's made of copper. So like, that was his drinking nose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that <laughs> This was is the, like you know, getting a filling day. or like a crown for your nose. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's like the equivalent today, like a dental thing. 
Yeah. Wow. So the funny thing is, like, I got I got all these books on Tycho Brahe, and they always mention this in passing, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! This guy <laughs> walking around with like, a freaking piece of gold in his face, and you're gonna and you're just gonna like skip past that? That guy Wait a is the original <laughs> gangster, dude. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, that guy is the original built, gangster. Yeah, like, telescope. Have you seen this nose? I need no telescope. <laughs> <laughs> what do you I mean, think? That guy was all kinds of okay. So another, so maybe a little more nerdy, a little more uh, uh, sciencey, but but okay. Oh well, okay. Before I get to the science part, one more neat thing was there's there's a fun story of a, a drunken moose that died, and this story I don't even know why we have this in history, but he wrote. Um, so there's these you know noblemen at the time that just had too much money to spend, and they wanted like down south in Italy, Spain, whatever. They heard of these reindeer, uh, and it was just fashionable to have a reindeer at court. And because uh, why was not? Writing, yeah, because why not? And someone was writing to like, well, well, hey, there's this Danish man, Dana, uh, there's this nobleman up north in Denmark. Let's write to him. Maybe old Tito's got a couple laying around. And sure enough, Tito actually had a couple of elk and moose and reindeer and whatever. <laughs> and he was like, sure, I'll borrow you one. And so he brought one down somewhere. So he brought a moose to some palace somewhere. And it was in this town. And the moose climbed up some <laughs> stairs, got into a keg of apple cider or whatever, drank the whole thing. And then fell down the stairs and died. And so we actually have this correspondence saying, "Hey, I, I you know, I, dude, I had your moose. I brought it. I swear, <laughs> I brought it all the way from, from like Stockholm to like Copenhagen or whatever. And oh, dude, I, you're not gonna believe this, but like I had a keg of cider laying around. Sick story, but you're not gonna believe this. Yeah, like you're not gonna believe this. And so we have this correspondence. Yeah, we have this story. And I'm like, wait, you're telling me about his. Okay, so now because moose. what my books actually talk about is the the tachyonic system. The, so we have the geocentric system, which believe, which is saying that everything revolves around the Earth, and then we have the heliocentric system, which is saying everything revolves around the sun. Mm -hmm. um, and the geocentric system goes all the way back to freaking Aristotle, Plato, you know, ancient Greece. Um, but Tycho was not ready to give up the old ways. However. His own readings were too damn good to deny the fact that clearly Mercury, Mars, Jupiter, Venus, all the planets are clearly, beyond a doubt, revolving around the sun. Okay? But uh, there's this thing called stellar parallax, which um, – so if you measure a star in the summer and then you measure a star in the winter – if the Earth moves, in theory, you should have noticed the star moves. Even if it's just a fraction of a you know nanomillimeter, the star should have moved a little bit in relation mm -hmm. to other stars, that kind of thing. And now Tycho was like staring at these stars for decades, and he's like, stellar, uh, what did I say? Stellar, uh, st whatever I said. <laughs> uh, stars do not move. Stellar parallax does mm -hmm. not exist, okay? Stars do not move, which means the Earth does not move. So clearly, and there is no way arguing this, clearly the sun revolves around the Earth. Otherwise, come on, we, we would all fall off. I mean, <laughs> clearly. And the stars don't move, so that's, that's my proof. Uh, but yeah, okay, all right, Copernicus, Galileo, you're right. The planets revolve around the sun. So he had this in-between system between the two, which is pretty interesting. Um, now only way later, like not until the 1970s or 1930s or whatever, did we have, uh, telescopes that were good enough. Did we actually, could we measure stellar parallax? 
Tico's problem is that they thought the stars were like right there, like really, really closer close. Closer than they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like way closer than they really are. Like you should, you know, you should be able to fly up there. If you can, if we can fly a, a satellite to Jupiter, then the stars are just, you know, a little bit beyond that. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, also um, with so yeah, Brahe. Yeah. Kind of interesting little in-between step, but that was, so yeah, Tico, you know, just, that's like the tip of the iceberg. That guy just has so many crazy stories and he's, you know, a lesser known figure in, in this or that. Well, isn't Tico the guy who coined a very big term too? The, with the suns, with stars? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So both Kepler and Brahe both got their supernova. And that that was one of the things that kind of put a dent into um, the whole theory of the universe is is from Aristotle down. Plato, in fact, made a big deal of uh, the fact or Aristotle made a big deal of the fact that stars do not change. Mm-hmm. They would even say like, Stars are constant, like the heavens, like, you know, the way that the gods are constant. Like, you know, stars are the one thing that's, you know, Mercury, crazy Mercury, cra- you know, Mercury's moving all over the place. Right. Uh, you know, that's the that's the god of wisdom. But that's, you know, that's because he's always moving. He's always, you know, foxy. But the stars do not move. Right. Now, somewhere through time, um, they, 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 they figured that actually, but the planets do move and, and this and that isn't right. Um, but what put one nail in the coffin was when in, oh, I'm going to say the wrong year, but like 1572, mm-hmm. a new star appeared and it was a big new star and it didn't move, but it was not there before. And so Brahe said, well, that, you know, in Latin, the word new is that's a nova. So that is, so he had a work called uh, something, something nova. Is that, is that <laughs> good? Good enough. It yeah, was basically, yeah. <laughs> it was on, oh yeah, Stella, no, something uh, on the Stella Nova. So on the new star. But so Stella Nova, you know, new Zonova, and then a supernova was when we saw a really big one. Um, so Kepler and uh, Brahe both got, there was there was two novas like 30 years apart. So uh, Brahe got his, and then one generation, Kepler got his. So, and that's it. Um, yeah, supernova. Wow. Supernova. That- yep. What, seriously a G, man. I'm not even kidding. Didn't need a telescope. Had his own nose. Ziz. Noses. And yeah, and I, I mean, his devices. I actually kind of encourage, like, if you look up his, um, he had a lab called, like, Sterniaborg, which is, like, Danish for Starberg, you know, Star Castle. And it's just like, I mean, you know, when you talk about devices that are three stories tall and they have to, I mean, they're just precise. That took money. That, that was, like, some serious craftsmanship. And his star chart, he had this big globe that was, like, brass. It was just a big brass globe and it had diamonds or some precious stones for where the constellations and everything should be and it was like his life's work he always you know was trying to get patronage patronage to like fulfill that that you know the globe star chart and it was like the most accurate one in the world and uh kepler tried to you know finish it after his death and there's just like great stories there i I mean not to downplay Uh, that significance but i feel like that globe could go for a lot of money today as like a souvenir for any steampunk fan or something like that that sounds (laughs) like i was like wait you're explaining that i'm like can can I get that on eBay or <laughs> that There's sounds just, really awesome. I love the artifacts. Seriously, I love the artifacts. I love just like, you know, I read about this stuff and I go I do I go run a Google image search about what, you know, this crown or this or that um, you know, astrolabes or whatever device they're talking about. If they're still around today, like Edward Kelly's, you know, scrying glass, you can just go, you know, Edward Kelly, you do an image search 
uh, you'll, you'll see those and, and, and they're still around the British Museum. It's just awesome. It really is cool to look at. He had these like tables of Anakian, kind of like a Ouija board. You know, you're like, you got this uh, this Anakian alphabet written out, <laughs> kind of move from one to the other and write it all down. And it would be in reverse. So it'd be in backwards. And then you'd translate it to Latin and then and then change it to go forward to back. And uh, yeah, just like, what the heck? Like, I just, yeah, I love that stuff. You know, you're mentioning, obviously. <laughs> well, well, you, yeah, right. Uh, you were mentioning earlier, though, like, the spread of alchemy, like, you know, I think the WordPress, probably, the printing press had probably a big deal with that, right? The spreading of knowledge about alchemy back in the day. Yeah. When did it become like more of a taboo for people to be associated with it? Uh, was it associated with uh, after the printing press? Like, can you go into that a little bit more? That's an interesting, yeah. So there's a, there's a couple interesting things there. So there's, um, yeah, the printing press. Okay. So what ends up happening, and this is where people might get confused, so I don't want to lose any listeners here, but what ends up happening is, of course, what everybody thinks happens, which is the printing press gives us this new dawn, this, you know, this this age of enlightenment where mm-hmm. we all, we know these new, you know, if you come up with a new theory in Germany and I can get it printed and translated and, and instantly it can get disseminated across Europe and sent to the to the new world and that's, and, and, you know, so with the printing press, we have science. And with the telescope, we have, you know, with these better systems, we start to figure stuff out and learn that, you know, we learn the truth. We learn, uh, you know, scientific fact. That's not really the case, though. What, what actually happened is the printing press came around, um, you know, right around the beginning of the 16th century, like 15, oh, what was it, 1510 or whatever it was. And alchemy actually boomed after that. Uh, as did magic and all the Renaissance occult stuff like, you know, sorcery and like straight up like, you know, uh, these these crazy um, Cornelis, like Bruno and Agrippa, Cornelis Agrippa and all those um, crazy Renaissance thinkers that brought it all back. And it was all this occult superstition. And the thing is that it was actually it went backwards for a while because a printing press worked both ways. You could print some crazy magical theory um and then disseminate that into the world, and uh, like phosphorus was discovered through a magic, so through an alchemical theory that had aspects of sympathetic magic in it. Like it was a magical, mm-hmm. alchemical theory. Mm-hmm. Someone, and long story short, this guy, uh, his name is Henning Brandt. He distilled his own urine until he got the phosphorus out, and phosphorus <laughs> glows. You know, think of like wait, a wait, match. back it up. So he uses his own urine, <laughs> or, did he, or did he use other people's urine? I was hoping urine? we could just kind of skim over that. <laughs> but, I, I just uh, want to clarify. So he used himself as a guinea yeah. pig. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just I want think to make about, sure okay. that nothing so crazy the is going on back then. In. Think about this for a second. Sympathetic magic. Uh, so what that means is um, a good, a good, a good example is. There's a magic spell or a magic concept called the weapon salve. It's like very common. People have heard of this. And the way it works is if, if, a, if a sword, you know, injures you, um, one way to heal you is to do this magic spell on the sword, on the sword that hurts you. So there's this idea that there's a connection there. The thing that hurts you can also heal you. And in alchemy, this has this has this other connection that sand was often, you know, melted down, and you know it has all the it has all kinds of compounds and silic, silicas and this and that. But um, sand would be melted down. Sand is yellow. Okay, things that are yellow. There was all kinds of um, uh, brass. There was theories that, like, you know, if your if your brass alloy was close enough to gold, it really was gold because it took on the qualities of gold. Well, what else is yellow, my friends? Um, what else, what other readily available <laughs> substance, um, is yellow? I've heard it's going off, um, you know, 
tone. Yeah. So Henning just had a bunch of yellow stuff and that he distilled and he threw it in a still and hey, it glowed. It, and I look what I did. I distilled my own pee and I got this glowy stuff. And I can just imagine him like showing all his friends and all his friends like, okay, buddy, like what's that? Don't you want to hold that it? Don't so you want to hold it? It's still yeah. warm. <laughs> Could you not get asparagus before you do your alchemy? Oh. Um, <laughs> you guys want some smelly gold? So, yeah. I got something better than watermarked. <laughs> You that's, might want to, yeah. So I don't know. So that's the, so yeah, alchemy. You can't even edit that out. Alchemy is smelly. <laughs> alchemy is sticky. You just got to be comfortable with that. Well, when you mentioned uh, already earlier about sulfur. rotten eggs at best. Sulfur yeah. is rotten eggs at best. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Th- so that's the thing. Like there was a mix of. I would say the history of science didn't go in a straight road. When you had the printing press, you didn't have like this enlightenment. You had, uh, you know, the the um, uh, the the telescope. The first thing it did, Tycho Brahe, that's another great story of Tycho Brahe. Sorry to keep bringing him, bringing no, him up, please, but I love the guy. So he wrote, one time he wrote a 70-page horoscope for the Prince of Denmark. And to, to illustrate this great point of, you know, science moves forward. So now we have telescopes, we have better star charts. We now know that the Earth revolves around the sun. We know these things. Kepler now tells us that we have, you know, a, an elliptical orbit and all this stuff. But the thing is, the way you get the way you get patronage, the way that someone actually pays for your research, is the way that um, Tycho Brahe got funding from the royal family of Denmark. For instance, is that he wrote a seventy-page um, horoscope. The first twenty pages of the, of that is his scientific method of how he got. You know, like I, you know, my star charts. I did this and this and this for the last five years to get these star charts to within one arc minute of accuracy. Blah blah blah, and and he even says a disclaimer in there that if the royal clocks are as much as eight minutes off, then the following horoscope is void. And then he gives you a 50-page horoscope with, like, you know, detailed. Actually, it's pretty vague. It's not detailed. Um, <laughs> but you know, promising all these, you know, the great things for future King Christian of, of, uh, of Denmark. Mm-hmm. And so the point is, is that uh, emperors, kings, even popes would say, oh, oh, okay. If I pay you money to have better telescopes, better equipment, um, you know, a better printing press, then that means that you can give me better horoscopes. You can give me better divination. You can read my future better. Do you so think actually, he cared about the horoscopes or do you think he was yeah. using that money to to further like the scientific research? Oh, yes. So, so oh, sorry. Yeah, the king cares about the horoscopes. The alchemy, the alchemist did not at all. We okay, actually, right. uh, Kepler wrote, so Kepler, two things. Kepler was very good at horoscopes. Apparently, we 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 wrote uh, allegedly we this from his allegedly yeah <laughs> from his college days. Well, we have people in his college days saying like he was very good at you know very good at predicting this and that um, in his days in Austria. And then Rudolf II brought him in, but we also have him complaining personally, like privately to people, saying, "Oh, this is like the thing I loathe to do the most. This is not science. This is superstition. This is but but this is what pays the bill." And mm. we, do, we do have that in writing, well, like in correspondence. So we do know that, no, like in Kepler's case, he hated it. But there were other charlatans that, of course, they loved it. I mean, you know, they I mean, they just loved that that environment where it's like, hey, I can. Oh, I can. You're Gemini, right? Come over here. You got 50 bucks. <laughs> I, I'll tell you something. Yeah. So. so yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I just want to go on to this thing. So you, you're talking about Tico. And is there anyone today that would admit being an alchemist or 
some interesting notable figures today that kind of dive into the the subject of alchemy and such that you know of yes huh. okay ooh, ooh, ooh. that's that's a that's a tricky that's a tricky question so um i'm not gonna yes okay okay yes <laughs> there, are, there are people today that would refer to themselves as, as alchemists and I am not one to argue. Okay. So, uh, so yes, alchemists exists. That's okay. my, with a, with a little asterisk there, but yes, okay. alchemists exist. I'm not going to name drop any because they're people that I like, well, you can go Google them. Okay. No, that's <laughs> um, totally cool. But, but there are, there are interesting, there, there's interesting characters out there. There's interesting people out there that I've had conversations with. I would say alchemy is not dead. Um, the thing is, uh, alchemy is dead when you're talking about, so there was a time in history, my favorite, you know, the golden age of alchemy in the 17th century, there was a time in history when alchemy was mainstream that when even like the inquisition, you would, you would have uh, monks and priests and things like very learned men writing about alchemy saying alchemy is evil. Alchemy is, uh, of the devil or whatever, but alchemy is real. Okay. So there were, there was actually, there was a strong tradition and a strong belief that you know there's there's biblical evidence for alchemy and there's this and that and people would would uh you know there was there was a strong theory of alchemy for over a thousand years and it was mainstream um then it started to it started to get a really bad reputation just because of charlatans for is, one. this is the decline of alchemy at this point right this is the decline of alchemy is kind of you know heading towards the 18th century heading towards the year 1800 i'll say getting into already isaac newton's days and you know a couple of generations after uh john d and tihu brahe and kepler you know one two generations after you know isaac newton um and it's already the decline and mainstream people so you you do still see alchemists talking of chemistry spelled with a y and there's they're speaking they're still talking about the peacock's tail or the the green dragon okay mm -hmm. but you also start seeing the royal society of 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 england you know saying or of london saying whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute wait a minute okay we got to disti distinguish here between um the natural philosophy this 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 search for what is the nature of matter, meaning we take this alloy, this compound, and we're trying to break it down into its elements, meaning is, the, is it made out of, you know, an element being iron or an element being mercury, mm -hmm. not an element being air, earth, fire, water, okay? Because that's the basis of alchemy, really, is that you can transmutate any, any metal because all metals are made of air, earth, fire, and water. You just mm -hmm. change the proportions, okay? Um, so, so the, this started to be um, debunked, let's say, like, like scientific theory really started to, you know, you start to get ideas like conservation of mass, conservation of uh, <laughs> what? Conservation of, uh, oh, geez, I forget. But like conservation <laughs> of mass, being, meaning like you have your, your compounds going in. Well, like one, one thing that's interesting is that you have, you have uh, uh, like airtight sealed chambers that's called hermetically sealed. The idea of that goes way back to Zosimos of Panopolis. But only in the 17th century do you get this idea of like, wait a minute. If I'm doing this experiment, am I taking into account what can evaporate into the air or what can come in from the air? No, 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 no. I need to do an experiment in a sealed environment. And only then did the people say, oh, if I put a plant here, I don't, nothing magical happens. I lose oxygen and I get carbon dioxide. Hmm. Oh, you know, and only then did they come up with this conservation of mass and these kind of theories. And uh, for me, I say the nail in the coffin is um, 
what's his name? John, no, Joseph Bolton. Uh, Bolton is for sure his last name. Wrote a book in like 1809, 1807 called The Atomic Theory. And that is really, I would say, the modern atomic theory where we actually – now he just – this is all theory still at his point. But he speculates that there's an atom which exists and it is indivisible and those are really elements. And 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 that could be oxygen is one, iron is one, hydrogen is one. Hmm. And with the, with the publication of that book in like 1807 – I personally would would tell you that yeah, by then alchemy was truly dead. It, it it had probably been dead in the mainstream for fifty years, and in the public eye, it had been hated for a hundred years. What was that book people, called again, Travis? I'm sorry to interrupt uh, you. The, the Atomic Theory. The Atomic Just, Theory. Yeah, straight up the Atomic Theory. Okay. Um, Joseph Bolton, John Bolton. It's not John Bolton, but it's J. Bolton. Uh, something. And it's like 1809, 1807, something. And so that that's a nice book because it's a nice marker because it's turn of the century. So, you know, because you have alchemy slowly dying from 1700 to 1800. 1600 is your golden age. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just, yeah, everyone's going to Prague. Ooh, uh, you know, spring it's, break, alchemy. Yeah, it's spring break. <laughs> it's, it's open in the air. The Catholic Church doesn't dare do it. Or actually, in that time, you even have popes banning alchemists and then secretly hiring their own alchemy alchemists so that they, so that they have the a gold. monopoly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They're like, it's, it's, it's morally inferior. You don't know what's going on here. It's probably of the devil. But hey, psst. If you got the skill, you know, call me. <laughs> so let's tweet, tweet, oh, tweet at me. Follow me. <laughs> tweet at at me. Francis. <laughs> Man, I wish I was alive back in the day. Um, well, let's go on a little quick to uh, pop culture, because I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode about Full Metal Alchemist, the anime show. Um, other areas that we've seen alchemy, I'm sure you can tell us this more than we can, but I know one of the, the more popular franchises is like Harry Potter. Alchemy is in there. Yeah, and I mean, I don't even know yeah. if I would know about the word if not for like World of Warcraft and Elder Scrolls and stuff like that. Honestly, like it's just, it just it's embedded it, in so many different ways, different yeah, places. Yeah, it's it's funny because yeah. So I mean, uh, I think it's neat that so I mean I look at 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 people like like uh, J.K. Rowling and I'm like, how did she know about this random thing like a basilisk? What the heck? You know, what's a basilisk? I mean, this random mythical. So a basilisk, there, there was this guy in the 11th century. Um, so if you listen to my show, by the way, I'll tell you how to make a basilisk. Ooh. All right. So if you ever need to destroy a horcrux by taking a basilisk's tooth. Now, remember, don't look at it. Kind of like Medusa. <laughs> OK, did I did I fully nerd out at you? for? <laughs> so, Not enough, sir. Not enough. So, yeah. So the thing is, all my show, I tell you how to make it. So there's this guy called Abu Fala and in the 11th century. And I think nothing that he wrote was like his own. I mean, he was not he didn't have an original thought. So the idea of the basilisk is older. It's but it's a Muslim. It's it's in the Islamic uh, part of the world, that tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, um, yeah, so so one recipe is you take human hair and um, um, a uh, one of the more grosser bodily fluids, let's say, mm -hmm. and you put that in an airtight. Uh, you take two plates and you know seal those two plates airtight. Leave it out in the sun, and you leave it out in uh, a dung, whatever. Dung is really important for so the the um, homunculus. The the recipes for for homunculus are all disgusting. They're just gross. <laughs> but okay, the basilisk. <laughs> you come back, and now you come back in a couple of days, and you will have these. Um, Oh, I forgot one step. You you poke a hole in the plate and you put a straw in it. Okay, cool. You seal okay. it up. Okay, cool. You come back a couple days later and you will have uh, some little snakes in there. All your hairs will be snakes. Now, if you want, you got your hair snakes. And your hair snakes are cool because you can make uh, – it was something like 
something awesome. It was like soul dust, not soul dust. Something awesome though. Soul like, dust, <laughs> dude. Soul these names something. are so like, gnarly. You can totally yeah, make like, a metal album out of this. Yeah, but it was, what were we calling the green dragon like, take, peacock's tail? <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. take this one, and I don't, I don't know what you'd use soul dust for, but it's part of a magical recipe. It's magic, so I stopped reading. It's not alchemy, but okay. But if you want uh, these these hair snakes, you got that. It's actually sperm hair snakes, but let's not dwell on that. Now, wait, now, back up. I'm just gonna keep going, keep going. <laughs> no, just yeah, just don't dwell on okay, that. Got now, it. Taking notes for my own if personal you, If you let that sit, here's what's gonna happen. The snakes will start starving and they'll start eating each other. Okay. At that point, you get one big snake. All right. Now, at that point, I believe you're good and you can, you will now have a basilisk. That, that big snake somehow, I might be skipping a snap, but that's a basilisk. Now, the reason you put a straw in it, and I forgot to mention this too, but the straw that you put between the plates should have a kink in it. Because you don't want to accidentally now look inside. Because now if you look inside, you will see the basilisk. And the next person that comes al- around is going to see a, 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 an idiot statue looking between two plates. Because basilisks <laughs> because you lo- turn you to stone, right? right? right. You're going to be looking between two plates like an asshole. You don't want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so what you, what you do Just is you take you, sucker. Yeah, I think you the you part you became an asshole when you mixed basilisk. all this gnarly stuff okay. in yeah. there to begin with. Just I mean, that, that out I mean step one was really the point where you become an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like you're jerking off into your own hair, and oh, what an asshole thing to do! Who does Who that? Who thinks about okay. that? Note for later. And then you kept going. You didn't just like you. Fir- you let that sit in the sun for a week, dude. Uh, bro. Okay. Anyways, yeah. So you smashed the basilisk. Okay. Anyways, that's a basilisk. And I was reading about this, and I was like, how did? That's one thing. Another one is uh, okay. The philosopher's stone in general, right? right. That, you mentioned that's, in the beginning. You know, the the first book is called Chamber of the Philosopher's Stone, and. Uh, and in Chamber, of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets. Or Chamber of Secrets. Gotta and then, say that. Someone's going to get upset about that. Yeah. So I got to make sure thank I you. put that. Yes, I don't want to get a thousand. Yeah. Hate, hate, Watch hate I letter. screwed it up hate and me. I'm going to get all the hate mail. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. Well, yeah. Well, I'm like, Who did, well, how, how dare you invite that guy? That <laughs> um, oh, another one was in the first or second book. A, a famous friend of Dumbledore is no lesser alchemist than Nicholas Flamel. And Nicholas Flamel is a really interesting character. Um, okay. Oh yeah, I remember that. So, yeah, 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 this yeah. is actually, this blew my mind, but just stating a fact, and this is like, you can look, go look at primary sources. This is not me being crazy or me being a dick or a troll or whatever, but me <laughs> saying this one fact, Nicholas Flamel mm-hmm. was a well-to-do bookseller, but Nicholas Flamel was not an alchemist. Oh my goodness. The hate mail I got from that one sentence. And the problem I have with that is that that's a fact. That's just like a verifiable fact. But the deal is this, is that there was this um, couple centuries after his death, there was um, a crazy, it's a really interesting story about this guy that goes to like Istanbul or Bucharest or something, somewhere in Eastern Europe. And he meets a Turkish guy that speaks Russian and he speaks this and that and that and he he looks kind of like he could be from India and this guy says that Nicholas Flamel is alive and well with his wife Penelope I believe was her name and they're living in India and okay. uh, this is like two centuries later in the 16 or 1700s saying that he's lived for like 
hundreds yeah. of years. So Nicholas Flamel is now 250 years old or whatever. And we have the same thing with Arnold no Villanova. And we have the same thing with the, the Count of St. Germain. Those are all names that are probably, you know, you've probably come across before. Um, and that's because they're, they're, they've been reputed to live for two, 300 years. Now, the thing is, in Nicholas Flamel's case, there was actually, again, a pseudo Nicholas Flamel. And he's a very interesting alchemical writer in the golden age of alchemy or, or slightly after, but definitely, you know, Nicholas Flamel was, had been dead for centuries, but he wrote this alchemical work. And it was just, well, Nicholas Flamel, who's that? No one knew who the old bookseller was, but everybody knew who this alchemist Nicholas Flamel was. So the two, you know, the historical figure and the pseudo uh, Flamel got mixed. And so me just saying Flamel was not an alchemist, like I got hate mail for that. Like there are people that are there are people that's just like I want to believe and the truth is out there and like that's cool, dude. Like th- I got Older. you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't judge. That's fine. But Flamel's dead. I hate to tell you, he's buried in. So Paris is cool. There's a a Flamel and Penelope crossing. There's one street called Flamel, like whatever. Plus two Flamel and plus two Penelope, or pardon my French. Mm. And the, the, and they actually cross each other, which is very romantic in the Parisian sense. And they're actually buried in the whatever uh, something due to innocence or whatever the hell they're buried. Mm-hmm. And you can go, you know, they're they're there, they're dead, they're there. Hey man, um, they're uh, not Travis, in India I don't know if you know what you're talking about at this point, man, because I think he might be alive. No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I, they I, were actually yeah. they were spotted in Goa with Elvis and um, yeah, a couple of. I know, I know, I know. But I, I, okay. I get the whole part about wanting to believe, though. It's just fun. It's I, just fun. I get it. I get it. I read stories of Saint Germain, the, the Comte de Saint Germain, and I'm like, oh god, I wish this happened. <laughs> like, I wish this was fact. Like these stories of like, you know, this old lady walks up to him and he's like. <gasps> I'm a, I must have seen your father in Venice, you know? And he's like, no, ma'am. Was, I remember. And in fact, and he whispers something and she turns red, you know? And, and he's like, oh, that was you? But sir, you must be, you know? And he's like, yes, ma'am. I'm older than I look. And I'm like, God, that's a great story. That's not pretty, real. It's and not, that's how he happen, picks guys. up on women. It, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. how he picks up on women. Actually. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. Come to St. Germain. That's like a Don Juan. Yeah, that's a Don Juan de Marco kind of tale. It's that's great. That's hilarious. That's Casanova, cool. Casanova kind of tale. So, man, to, oh. to transition, because we're, we're winding up here, coming to the end. Um, let me oh, ask real you. quick. Okay, Harry Potter, got to complete the list. Yeah, okay, complete yeah, the yeah, list, please. Mandrake roots is a real thing. Mandrake roots kind of exist. So Mandrake is a real plant, grew around the Mediterranean. And the thing is that the, the roots can be gnarly and they look they can look like they people. They look scary. And people this really is like the little people thing, right? So it was in Pan's second. Labyrinth or something? Yeah. Was it a pan's labyrinth in that movie? Yeah. Didn't she put it under the bed I or thought something so, like right? that? Yeah. yeah. What oh. did it do? I forget. Yeah. It it, it, it voided a spell. It was some kind of protection. I can't remember. Thing. I saw the movie so long ago. But yeah, yeah those things remember. are real. But, but when they pulled it out, it screamed. Okay, that part? That part is real legend, let's what? say. No, but, it's not, man. But if you pull it out... <laughs> Mandrake, no, it's not. It screams, you die. So that part wasn't real. So Harry Potter okay. and that whole class, dead children. That's a class <laughs> wait, 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 children. I'm sorry. Blowing my mind there, right now. Routling got her facts straight. Don't give me this because there are wizards. She, they're, no, no, no. Okay, anyways. Sorry. Um, <laughs> next one. <laughs> no, no, so, the, so, so Rudolph II had a mandrake. So what they would do was these, you know, uh, smart, kind of clever businessmen would actually put little whiskers. The, the mandrake roots that actually look like people, they would give them little whiskers and dress them up into little... Uh, you know, people like clothing, like gnome clothes, and then just say like, look, it's a, it's a mummified, it's a, you know, 
Um, yeah, it's a Mandrake. Uh, yeah, so that's in Harry Potter. I think that's in Full Metal Alchemist also. So, Is it? Oh, I do. I have to yep. go back and look at it. I was so <laughs> upset with the show. I totally overlooked that. Sorry, Justin. But that's like it. Yeah, that, that's a medieval folk. It goes back to folklore. Mandrakes are a known kind of medieval European thing. Interesting stuff. Yeah. It's not. That's gnarly. <laughs> I think. I think it's all I got for Harry Potter. <laughs> I am. That's I'm cool, still man. blown away. I'm like, oh my goodness, this was a thing, and then you know, and it's some whatever 11th century uh, like Middle Eastern, you know, guy from Baghdad writing about you know how to how to not get frozen by a basilisk or whatever. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I love stories like that. That's good times. <laughs> well, I think we've touched on it a little bit, but um, one of the last questions is, what's been your best or favorite uh, and worst experience explaining the history of alchemy to oh. people? Okay, yeah, so uh, my best experience, I would say, is the overall surprise of, like, the fact that we have an audience. Because how interested people are in it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think if people have listened to this show, on the one hand, they're probably, at first they're like, okay, alchemy, okay, how long is this episode? An hour? Oh my goodness, what can you possibly talk about alchemy for for an hour? And hopefully after this hour, you've kind of gone like, Actually, that was pretty interesting. I never knew. And and the 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 best thing for me was finding out that I'm not alone. There's a bunch of people out there. There's tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. out there that are just as curious about alchemy as I am or even more curious or um I've even, you know, I've talked to, I've had people on my show that would call themselves alchemists today. Uh and I should, you know, to give them a fair shake like perhaps more like spagyric alchemy, like an herbal alchemy mm-hmm. where you're, you're working with plants a lot more mm-hmm. right. um, trying to, you know, you're working after like elixirs of life or, you know, elixir is an alchemical term term. It means from the ashes. It's Arabic, you know, so the, 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 you can, you can still call yourself an alchemist without, you know, really t- without touching gold and lead kind of thing. From right. the ashes I'll, I'll, we rise. I'll give you a pass on that. Um, so that was, that was kind of the best thing. Yeah, you could, you know, okay, if you're a spiritual alchemist, you're you're meditating to transmutate your soul. All right, man. Why not? <laughs> that, yeah, well, bro. Cool. All right, man. I don't judge. That's cool. Um, so, th- I mean, that's been the best experience is like meeting a bunch of people like-minded and also other people that are have been totally different. And sometimes I get some some hate mail, some flack, like I said, but then, you know, the ones that actually don't aren't just angry and the ones that actually want to talk it out. Um, it, uh, we've had some really good conversations that, that is by far the best part. The worst part, that's the flip side of that. The worst part are the people that just don't want to talk it out. They're, they're just, you know, the people that I, I get these emails that are like, who do you think you are talking about this and that? And I'm like, I never claim to be an authority or people that email me saying, you're not, you're a historian. You're not an alchemist. And I'm like, whoa, whoever said I'm a historian? I don't, you know. <laughs> like, dude, like, thank whoa, you whoa, so whoa. much for calling me a historian, man. That meant so much to me. <laughs> yeah, personally, I'm like, well, I'm flattered, but but they didn't mean it as a, they didn't mean it as that. They meant it as like, you're not an alchemist. Yeah, yeah, you should, totally. you know, you're a historian mm-hmm. at best. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, I'm not even that. I'm a, I'm a technical <laughs> writer that does this on the weekends, but thank you, I guess. But, the, but the, yeah, I mean, so that's the, the toughest point is, is to not being able to like justify like they'll listen to the flamel episode and just be like you you know anti-potter person i'll never talk to you again and and i don't get a second (laughs) chance you know i can't explain like whoa i'm not a historian i'm not an alchemist but i love this stuff and if you think i'm wrong please educate me and i'm all ears and i would love to listen 
And, uh, you know, if I, every time, anytime I get the chance to say that, that that's a good day. Yeah. Um, when I don't, that's a bad day. We so always, we all know those people we can't yeah. have the honest conversation with. Yeah. And, yeah. and I've had great conversations from it. So yeah, that's, and I would, I would say the same to, yeah, if I, if I do offend somebody out there, that's, that's kind of like, oh, of course alchemy's alive and well, and you know, the scientists got it all wrong. Uh, cool. Let's have that talk. <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Yeah. How is conservation of mass wrong? I would love to hear that. That's, that's <laughs> cool. Cool. Right on. Well, if they um, did want to yeah. find you and they did want to talk about that with you, uh, this might be a good time to give yourself a little plug. Where can they find you at online? Yeah. So the easiest thing, all my, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I got, I got, uh, my other podcasts are like history of Germany, history of alchemy, Bohemian, uh, quintessence, which is more on the spiritual religious side of things, history of religion, um, cause I'm trying to get all the history of occult stuff that didn't fit in alchemy. Um, yeah. So another show and, um, the secret cabinet, which is a great show about all the, let's say naughty artifacts that didn't make it into your history books in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, I don't know what kind of, I don't know what rating your show has, if this is going to get explicit on iTunes, but that's all I can say about that. Other than you can find all those shows like, mm, okay, history of pornography, history of dildos, history of, but, but this is actually <laughs> The original is a, is a German, he's an academic, he's an honest-to-God archaeologist, um, he's a historian, he actually works in the Martin Luther House in Witt- in Wittenberg in Germany. So this guy, like, he's got the pedigree, I merely translate, but his show is so hilarious in German, like, so well done, that I'm, I just, I'm like, I got it, this has to that's exist funny. in English, and wow. so now it does. So, wait, before that's, we that's, go further, uh, Travis, what's your handle on, like, Twitter and Facebook? So, yeah, so go to, so you can find all of that at podcastnick.com, that's podcastnik.com, kind of like, you know, sputnik.com, sure. right, so podcastnick.com, and so I'm at podcastnick on Twitter. I'm also at Alchemy Podcast. I'm also at Germany Podcast, et cetera, et cetera. But if you go to podcastnick.com, you'll find all that. There's links to my Facebook pages. Uh, there's definitely, you can come check out, like, there's a History of Alchemy News Facebook page and there's a History of Alchemy uh, Facebook group. So if you are like minded, then come join the group and, you know, have those conversations with us. And um, otherwise, yeah, just just keep in touch and see what we're up to. And we got a YouTube channel. There's <laughs> we talk about alchemy on YouTube. Um, yeah, you name it. We is got. It, yeah. Is there yeah. any up, uh, uh, upcoming projects you're working on that you want to plug in right now, or is that more of the? Oh my goodness. So uh, yeah. So for this audience, yes, I'm actually <laughs> my highest priority right now. I am working night and day, sweating blood to get a book out that is that beautiful crossroads between alchemy and Prague. It's for me. It's what got it all started. So I don't take a look at alchemy, just alchemy, but I look at, like, let's say Prague in the year 1600. So everybody we just mentioned, basically, we Mm -hmm. got John Dee, we got Kelly, we got Tycho Brahe, we got Kepler, we got uh, the court alchemists, we got um, Rudolf II, who was, uh, well, he was hallucinating. I mean, he was mad. He was the mad emperor. If you look (laughs) up the mad emperor, that's Rudolf II. He he chose Prague. we're getting right back into Game of Thrones here, but go on. (laughs) I mean, so I'm writing this book of like, if you took a walk down Prague, the Voynich manuscript was there. The Devil's Bible was there. um, One of the Holy Grails was there with the one that's in Vienna today. Uh, He had, you know, alleged uh, nails from Noah's Ark. He had a glorious legendary coin collection. All that stuff was like plundered in the 30 years war. So you can't. It's just gone now. It's half of it's in Stockholm, half of it's in Vienna. But 1600, if you had a time machine and you walked around Prague. Trust me, I'm the tour guide you want. That's the <laughs> <laughs> Bam. Or, or, or you know, or this, or this book. Podcastnick.com. 
that's that, that's cool. what I'm working on. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's that's I'm so excited about that project. Like I'm I'm just trying to try to crank it out. It's uh it's from various shows, so it's really it's a lot of stuff that's going in that. So um, that's great, yeah, man. And cool. I and I will and I will uh, say that I have listened to your podcast, and I wouldn't be doing this show with you right now had I not like listened to that and been totally intrigued by what you did. So great job, man. I appreciate um, yeah. that, and you're not you're not really a are you a history of science kind of nerd? Otherwise, I or? love listening to it. I'm a huge Dan Carlin fan. Like, oh um, yeah, okay, yeah. all right. We we're, we're yeah, we know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm definitely gonna be checking out your podcast. Uh, Justin was really excited about this episode, so uh, he definitely uh, rubbed something off on me. So uh, it's not necessarily snake hairs or anything like that, but like, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, not yeah. Stay away from the snake hair. There's other stuff. We got other stuff. Not gonna lie, most of it has a smell to it. If, if not nose deaf, okay. But but the good thing is, is it doesn't come across the microphone that bad. Okay, so, great, fantastic. Well, yes. man, thank you so much for coming out. And uh, I just wanted to say that I'm gonna think of you every time I walk outside and look up at the night sky and see planetits. <laughs> Exoplanetids. 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 Yes. And uh, Kepler 29b is yes. a nice, voluptuous. I want to say it's exoplanet. It. It's beautiful in its spherical nature. It's just, just in your face. Okay. That anyways, was... <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I love it, Travis. I appreciate everything. Thank you for taking the time. Yep. All right. Uh, likewise. Hey, it's been great. Thanks, guys. Thank Have you. a good one. Yeah, you too. Dude, what a character that guy is. Yeah. Seriously, this guy knows his stuff. Yeah, like, where would you go to start learning that? I'm so glad he just came on the show for us to interrogate him with all this random stuff. I did not know what to anticipate from this interview with him, but it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is what I wanted the interesting hour to be about. Like, (laughs) what a niche or niche, how would you say it? Yeah, I mean, sure, niche. I go with that. (laughs) But, like, this guy, he knows about alchemy. Yeah. what the heck? Yeah. And, you know, he's very upfront. Yeah, it's cool. I'm glad. Travis, thank you for being on the show with us. That was so awesome. Um, uh, next week, we have uh, something pretty cool. It's going to be the longest episode of this season. Yeah, we, we marathon. Two-hour marathon episode. <laughs> uh, we have Jacqueline Avedon on, and uh, she takes us on a tour of our solar system, which is just, I, I nerded out hard for this one. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. We go planet by planet, and she's spouting out facts for each one. Yeah, and uh, that's like her niche. So, anyways, guys, I said niche. See, um, so guys, tune in next week. It's gonna be awesome. And uh, yeah, uh, this week's episode of the Interesting Hour is brought to you by uh, who do we got here? Jan, Chuck Levins, right? Right, Justin. Oh yeah, Chuck Levins for all your audio needs. Visit ChuckLevins.com. I love how official you get when you say Chuck Levins. Uh, yeah, I get to be an ad. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of ads, this is a show was brought to you by Core Foundation. Check us out at the website Core Foundation C O R dash Foundation org uh subscribe uh donate it's pretty cool it helps donate the fo- donate to the foundation so you can help us keep the show running and all these other cool projects we got going um and let's not forget justin let's ask the people to write some reviews right yeah people have been giving us some reviews and we really appreciate it and yeah if you're checking this out and you're liking it uh, keep it coming keep review. it coming yeah would, would help us out a lot right yeah now. right yeah it's uh so far away everyone's writing is super awesome thank you guys we appreciate it and uh yeah uh, find us on social media uh we're on instagram and twitter at the i hour uh we're on facebook uh the interesting hour so yeah find us guys let's talk let's do something if you have any questions for or suggestions for future episodes let us know we will we'll do it yeah, yeah. please anyways uh we'll see you guys next week we'll, 
Sí, bien, bye. <risa>